Welcome to the Human Inclusive Podcast, where we curate stories that amplify diverse populations. We take a peek into the lives of our allies as they share their experiences in an effort to help communities build empathy and compassion for coexistence. I'm Leah. I use she, her. I'm Christopher. He, him. And together, we are Human Inclusive. This podcast is brought to you by Dante32. We are so excited to kick off our first season during Trans Visibility Week. In this episode, our first, we're talking with Hope Giselle, Andrea Mares, and Jasmine Lopez. We had such a great conversation with these wonderful women that we decided to make it a two-part episode. In part one, we'll be talking about the role HR teams and companies play in creating an inclusive environment that is also safe for the trans community. The oversight of the trans experience and cis privilege that can block trans people from bringing their whole selves to work daily, and inclusive education versus tokenism. We make assumptions that our listeners are familiar with terms related to the trans community. So if this subject area is new to you, visit our Instagram at Human Inclusive, where we have a broad overview introducing some of the words you'll likely hear in these episodes, as well as some featured people conducting some Ask Me Anythings. This episode was recorded a few weeks before the 2018 midterm election. And at the end of the episode, we have some footnotes related to this discussion. Hi, ladies. Thank you for joining us this week. Let's get started with some introductions. Tell us a bit about who you are and why you're here. So I guess I'll go first. My name is Hope Giselle. I'm a, I guess, self-identified advocate of the trans experience or people of trans experience. I work for a national organization, and right now we're just now rolling out a campaign to get trans people up and voting, especially because this year is going to be a major year for trans voting with the Kavanaugh hearings and all of these other things that we have going on. I love the work that I do. I've been doing it for about three or four years at this point, and I'm really excited to finally be in Washington where I can actually impact a lot of change in the government that I'm trying to you know, convince that I'm a person. Hi, my name is Andrea Mares. I'm here today to talk about like what my experiences have been transitioning for the last about two years in both the entertainment world and also being a creative person, but also working in the world of HR and kind of navigating those two really different places with a really different identity. I'm Jasmine Lopez and I'm based in New York City. I work for a citywide nonprofit that focuses on providing economic uh, justice initiatives. Uh, for LGBTQ immigrants, uh, trans and gender non-conforming people, and queer women, as well as provide capacity building for organizations that want to hire from community, as well as create more inclusive and affirming spaces. Excellent. Thank you all for being here with us today. And my first question is for Hope. Hope, you said that you're working in GOTV or Get Out the Vote in the trans community. How do you find or identify the trans community that might be unregistered or or things like that? Or are you targeting all people to be able to get out the vote? So what we're doing is targeting trans folks specifically and our friends, family, and allies. Massachusetts is our main state because they have the Yes on Three campaign going on, which is the large picture in this entire voting or GOTV campaign that every organization seems to be jumping on. Uh, Yes on Three is basically 
a replay back uh, that the Trump administration is trying to do to replay the idea of religious freedom being an excuse to use, I guess it's it'll be an excuse to use for anti-trans discrimination laws. And it'll enable anybody in any public space or any you know communal space to say that because my religion does not agree with, you cannot be here. And that includes spaces like libraries, schools, um, the doctor's office, for God's sakes, uh, restaurants and movie theaters. And so if Yes on 3 does not get a favorable judgment, we're pretty much, you know, crapped out of luck because every other state who already disagrees and wants these laws, you know, rolled back, they're going to try it. Uh, so our main goal, and I think all GOTVs right now is main goal is to make sure that yes on three gets a yes on three, but we're targeting the audiences of people who are just turning 18. So first time voters, all of their family and loved ones and support systems that come along with them, the major overall LGBT community. And then of course the communities that seem to not vote the most, which unfortunately, um, have been in the past years people of color and especially people of color from low income areas. My goal, my personal goal within the GOTB campaign that we're launching, Transform the Vote, is to make sure that trans women of color are definitely voting because I find that oftentimes trans women of color are affected by those things a lot more because they're often more visible than a lot of other women. And this is just based on my experience. I'm sure that the other two ladies will have different experiences because we all, while we have, you know, transness in common, we don't walk the same walk. But I do tend to feel personally that Black trans women feel a lot of that brunt because we're built differently. We're usually taller naturally, or we're usually bigger or built a certain way if we don't transition earlier, which means that passability for us is a huge thing. And if you transition too late, that's usually harder to attain. And I want to make sure that those women who may never pass still get a chance to be treated like human beings out there in the world. And if we don't get this vote out and make sure that they are voting for the right legislation and government and Senate, that's going to be hard come the next year. That was going to be one of my questions was, um, is that part of any other state's laws right now? Or is it Massachusetts going to set the tone for everyone else? Massachusetts is definitely going to set the tone. However, there are some states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, all of the states that were already very much so against things like gay marriage and the bathroom bills, um, North Carolina, uh, all of those people are just waiting to see what happens in Massachusetts because in certain counties, this law doesn't even exist. And so that is already happening to trans folks around the world. However, It'll happen in larger numbers with more, you know, gumption if it does not favor well in Massachusetts, which is why we have to get people up and out. Our goal right now is to arm the student governments, to arm the student organizations, the LGBT organizations that are surrounding Massachusetts who are going to have those first-time voters, who are going to have those people who just want to see change, who are going to have those millennials that are going to get out and do something. And we're trying to arm them with all the tools that they need, voter registration ID laws, different things so that when they get to the polls, they're not turned away based on some, you know, kumbaya law that doesn't exist or something like that. And we're really trying to make sure that not only do we get them there, but we actually get them to vote when they get there and bring at least three people with them that are going to pledge to do the same thing. That sounds like a heavy job for one. I think it's incredible that you're doing it because I think it's heavy on individual, like individual experience, but also on the work as like a greater whole for a community as well. 
I want to flip over for a second to Andrea because you're in the HR department. So when you're listening to Hope talk about what she's doing from a voting perspective and the impact that this could have on the community as a whole, how does that impact your role in HR in thinking about rights of employees and rights of individuals who could be discriminated against in that process? It's been really interesting trying to get educated on the different laws that are in place in different, especially countries, because my company's global and we have about 15 offices worldwide. And we were talking about our insurance plans and wondering whether or not gender transition in all of its complexity, including like surgeries, uh, voice training, or hormone therapy was included in our packages. That's definitely something that's been on the top of my mind. And I remember when we got the news, I mean, the elections was like hard hitting for everybody. Everybody was crying and it was a very like emotional experience, but um, we showed up for one another. But even with the Supreme Court decision of the person who was stepping down and opening up this spot, I remember that day of feeling sick to my stomach and thinking about the laws that could possibly change, you know, and the policies that would have to shift. And I don't know, my company is very open-minded and has very high standards for our employees' experiences. And so we fight our hardest to make sure that we're inclusive, like all the way down to our policy and procedure. But um, to think about how that falls in line with the government is kind of like a little too big for me to think about sometimes. <laughs> That's fair. It's kind of scary. Well, Jasmine, with you and, you know, working with members of the the trans experience, how important are some of these benefits that Andrea is talking about in, you know, the job selection process? Because all companies aren't going to be as far along or as inclusive as Andrea's company. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very important not only to have benefits, but benefits that are inclusive and like comprehensive for our community. Because when you think about it, if you're in a space or a position where you feel supported and you feel taken care of, you're going to thrive, right? You're going to be successful. So whether it's organizations, you know, that are like grassroots or like big corporate organizations, if they really take the time and make the commitment to provide comprehensive benefits that you know, encompass as much of the diversion of experience as possible, that in itself is a step in the right direction. And it's a step towards economic justice, right? Because a lot of the time, our community members, they they won't thrive in jobs because they don't feel supported or they don't feel safe about bringing their experience to work in a way that doesn't have to question their professionalism. And it's not just about, okay, We'll provide these benefits and the conversation ends there, but constantly checking in with community, with advocates and being proactive about, okay, well, how can we improve on this? How can we make sure that we are being as inclusive and affirming as possible? How can we continue to make sure that our hiring process is affirming and explicit in wanting to be diverse? So I think all of that is important. So when we're talking about benefits and things that employers, companies can do for the trans community, it's also important to be like, okay, well, don't just stay stuck here just because you did it. Always think outside the box and look beyond what you've currently done. Listening to all three of you all talk about your different experiences in your place of work and engaging with your employer, what do you think is the most important thing for the general public to know about being in the trans community in the workplace? 
when we were having a conversation at the Tech Ladies Luncheon, the one thing that we were all on one accord about is the idea of how cis women don't have to think about it as much. And I think we all kind of bonded on that fact because it wasn't something that we were even thinking about. Andrea was just like, okay, so here's what we're going to be talking about. And let's kind of brainstorm around that. And we all were just like, well, yeah, because, you know, they don't have to think about how, you know, their makeup looks or whether or not they're going to wear makeup. And so it's like a something that's really minute to a lot of cis women. They're just like, oh, you know, I didn't wear makeup today. Like whatever. They know that I have dark circles. But with trans women, with us, like for some girls, it's like it's more than a dark circle. It's like, oh, I didn't wear makeup today. They know I have a five o'clock shadow, you know, and that might cause me to be targeted targeted at work today or misgendered at work today. Or if I don't wear my waist shaper, I look a little bit more square. And so that makes me feel some type of way. And now I'm thinking about that and I can't operate effectively. Or, you know, if I don't have money to get a proper wig unit and my hair isn't long enough, I, I feel manly and I don't feel like I look a certain way. And I know for me, one of the things where I hate wearing shirts that come anywhere past, you know, too deep past my cleavage because I feel like if people can't see my breast, they kind of like rule out me being a woman. And while that might be asinine to some people and like, it might be crazy for me, I feel like if you don't see my cleavage, you just don't see a woman. And that's a personal thing that I'm struggling with, but it's also one of those things that like trans women think about before we go to work. And so mm-hmm. when I'm shopping for my wardrobe for work, I never buy anything, no matter how cute it is, if it covers everything up to my neck, because I'm just like, oh no, because they're not going to be able to see me as a woman if, if my cleavage is covered up or if they can't see my boobs, then like it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have our reservations about different things that we have to think about as trans women and different things that we do think about as trans women when we're in a workplace, regardless of how open or progressive it might be because we are trans. I think one of the most important things to really think about is intersectionality. This idea that when you have somebody coming into the workplace, they're not just bringing in their womanhood, right? They're not just bringing in their their transness. They're not just bringing in their low-income background. It's a conglomeration of all these things. And so when we think about who we're hiring and just seeing them through one lens, it can be really limiting And I think that it's also something that women could really empathize and understand and connect through one aspect of it, thinking about how like intersectionality also overlaps with other identities. And so a good example is like my old friend who is a white woman. She had a hard time understanding what oppression looked like, especially for (laughs) queer or low income or brown people and black people. And it didn't really click for her until she was sitting in a class and they were talking about the oppression that women experience in general, cis women specifically. And once she started really unpacking what that experience looks like and how much she can relate to it, she was able to empathize and think about how other people experience oppression in different ways, right? So she says that as a white woman, it was really difficult for me to even start thinking about how difficult the world can be for some folks. But... um, knowing how it was slightly more difficult for me just because I was a woman made me be able to think about a broader contextuality. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is like for the people who are having a really hard time, like understanding what our experiences might look like is just think about your shittiest day Mm -hmm. and imagine that it was based on something of your identity because sometimes it is. Maybe it's because you're wearing glasses and you got made fun of. Like that gets compounded in so many different directions and in so many different ways that those are the experiences that we're going through, which I don't think it grants us like 
a godlike level, but it should grant us like a little bit more time for people to sit down and hear where what our stories are thoroughly and also time and understanding what we need to accomplish whatever goal our employer or coworker is putting in front of us, you know? And I don't know, just having a more humanistic approach. I think one of the things that comes up for me as one of the most important things to keep in mind is that someone's gender identity, it's part of their identity, right? And it doesn't have to affect their employability and it doesn't have to necessarily define their employability as well. I think that there's this social opinion that trans people aren't employable because they either have too much trauma or they haven't been able to get the education or the credentials, but then they forget or they choose to ignore that there are systems in place that have caused that to happen, right? Environments that aren't affirming, that aren't safe, that don't allow trans folks to thrive. Therefore, they don't get access to those opportunities. And then on the flip side of that, also remembering that if you as a hiring manager or just like an organization or a company as a whole, when you're hiring trans folks or you're creating opportunities for trans folks, you have to make sure to also think to yourself, okay, am I creating jobs or opportunity around people or around need? And hmm. how can I make that distinction? Because if you create jobs and opportunities around people, you run the risk of tokenizing, right? When trans people come into the mix or any folks from marginalized groups. But when you're creating it around need and it just so happens that trans people can do the job in the most authentic and effective way, then that's a whole different conversation and you're in a different playing field. So I think those are like the most important things that people should consider. You just explained two different job-seeking experiences or hiring experiences. What's happening that people are, are more so looking at the individual as opposed to the need? There is a tendency in nonprofits to do that, to build jobs or opportunities around people before need. And then sometimes when we have the people within the position, then the needs emerge. And then we have to kind of figure out, okay, well, can this person adapt to this emerging need? In the for-profit world, what I've seen is that opportunities will just be around people because they might be like, oh, we want to diversify, right? We want to be explicit and we're trying to move in a progressive direction, but it stops there, right? Because Mm -hmm. then folks that come in that are quote-unquote diversifying the company, then they could be set up for failure, right? Because then there's other things within the workplace or the workplace environment or the culture that wouldn't allow them to thrive. Do you feel like in your your career experience, whether that be full-time or applying or interviewing or exiting a company, is there a time in your career experience that you feel like it's highlighted the most that you are part of a community that is typically underrepresented and often suppressed? Yeah, I think, I think Jasmine is talking about this, but like this transition that a company wants to make to be more open-minded and will put up very specific ventures and like celebrate employees, right? In both celebrating, it means having to acknowledge somebody's identity and somebody's background. And so I think it can be a very fine line between wanting to profit with somebody's identity, wanting to celebrate and really include somebody's identity. Tokenizing that person versus embracing and, like you said, celebrating 
why that person is an individual or why that person is special. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And so have you all in your careers experienced the tokenization over the celebration? And talk to me a little bit about how does it make you feel? And were the people that were tokenizing you or the organizations, were they even aware? Oftentimes, people don't realize that they're tokenizing you because of the sensationalism of the trend of being trans right now. Everything is is, is so trans-oriented all of a sudden. Now everybody wants to do a documentary. There's like 50,000 documentaries all of a sudden about trans women in poverty who have been living in, you know, Cuba or like all these different places. And it's like, they've been doing that for forever. And now there's a, a documentary about the gully queens in Jamaica and like the girls that are walking the beats in, of New York. And it's just like, these, these girls have been there. These are new situations. But because now there's money that can be made. Because now that the stories are adding up to a dollar, you have these major companies who I feel to some degree have always seen the story and have always kind of sort of cared, but couldn't make justification on why it was important for the world to care. And so it's one of those things like supply and demand. Before, trans women were not in demand. Our stories weren't in demand. Whether they were interesting or not, nobody wanted to hear about it. Now everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to get in on it. Everybody wants to figure it out. You have more trans kids that are easily accepting the idea of being trans at an earlier age because parents are more educated because of these stories, because of these TV shows, because of these articles. And so when people bring you in, they are very sensational about it. It's like, oh my God, come here. Let me, let me, you, you have to be the one trans girl on staff because we need somebody that's going to get these people together. And we realize that we've been messing up and screwing up, but having you here and all you hear is, okay, so I'm going to be doing trans one-on-one like this whole, okay, that's what I'm here for. Like in, in our minds, that's all we hear. But in their minds, what they think they're doing is giving us an opportunity It's like, oh, no, I'm giving you an opportunity to head something. I'm giving you an opportunity to tell your story. I'm giving you an opportunity to do this great thing for all these people that need it. But really what you're doing is you're going to use me for all I'm worth until I'm no longer worth anything. And then once I'm no longer worth anything, I'll become a burden because once transgenderism and our stories are no longer the thing to talk about, then what do you do with the token that you were using for four years in this you know, organization? Then what do you do with the token that you were sending out on all of these sensitivity trainings? When nobody wants to be you know, insensitive anymore, what do we do then? I know personally, I have been in plenty of places. I worked for a MAC Cosmetics. And it's crazy because MAC is so openly supportive of the LGBT community. And they're so openly supportive of trans people. And for those of you who can't see me, I'm going to use the air quotes when I say supportive. One particular instance that I can think of is that when I got hired, I didn't talk about my transness. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that like I made privy to people. And it wasn't because I was, you know, ashamed of it, but it's because I know as a trans working with cis women and especially a bunch of cis women of color, The second that I say that I'm trans, whether they were thinking it or not, once I admit it and they know, it becomes a competition for whatever reason. And I remember 
my competition not being a catty one, but I remember it being one of, I have to educate you on how to treat me and every trans person or every person that you think is trans that walks into the store. And that became a burden, you know, every bodybuilder, you know, because there are female bodybuilders and we had a bunch of them because we're in an international airport. And so all these female bodybuilders would come through the store and it's like, oh, is she trans? Like, then I have to play the clockability game, which is a whole nother thing. And one particular way I think they used me in general was they all had gone to this thing that we as Mac artists would have to go to called Update. And at Update, they showed this trans documentary that Mac has now released because this was about last year. And it was like, everybody went to this at Update and all of them came back from Update and they would say, oh, we can't wait for you to go to Update. We just, we can't wait for you to go to Update. And I go to Update and of course they play this video and I'm expecting there to be a conversation because, I mean, you play something that's that controversial. I'm thinking that this is going to open up the space for an inclusion conversation at Mac. Mm -hmm. And this is what Mac is doing to be more inclusionary. And they play this video in the middle of our update. And then they say, "Okay, well, we're going to start working on makeup in 30. And I was like, what? Huh? What do you mean? Like, you guys just so we're not going to discuss. the. Okay, wait a minute. And even though I took that moment to educate the room. I then also realized how I had been tokenized by my coworkers because that's what they wanted me to do. They expected that from me. They wanted me to fill that role. And the thing that bothered me was that it wasn't like I was prepared. They didn't prepare me for it. They knew that I would do it. And they used me in a way to say like, oh, we have an advocate on our team. She's going to da-da-da-da-da. And when it got back to them, that's exactly what happened. Like, oh, Hope, we knew you were going to thank you so much for being the trooper and blah, 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 blah. But that to me didn't feel good because I didn't go to Update to be a trans activist. I went to Update to learn about the new trends and what foundations were dropping. And then it makes other people look at you as if you are always on some sort of trans agenda to educate everybody and to make everybody feel bad for you. When one, because of who I am and the life that I live, I was genuinely offended that you would bring something like this up, which is once again, another sensational documentary to make Mac money and not to really care about trans people at all. But two, then to not have a conversation about it, I was personally affected by it. Then for my coworkers to use that and for my manager to use that to get clout in the industry was even more disgusting. I guess the immediate spinoff question for me is when is tokenism not education? Like, do you have to be asked to educate someone or do you choose because they're obviously lacking awareness? When does it go too far? Yeah, I think that the clearest difference between tokenization and inclusion would be the amount of resources that you're investing because tokenizing mm-hmm. is really easy because you could just say like, this is our spokesperson, we're hiring this one person and we're good, like we're set. And that whenever we have executives come by, whenever we have other companies, oh yeah, let's go transfer right there. Versus what I experienced in my company, which I think was really amazing, was that we had somebody from the LGBT Center come in and do a training and like, I got to speak at it after because I'm an attention seeker and I like <laughs> to just, you know, take up the room. But, you know, it, it really felt like I was being not only seen and affirmed, but even celebrated and it sparked a conversation. I think that that's what Hope was talking about, that you can't just have us being represented without talking about what that representation means to us, hmm. you know? 
And so an event that we recently did was that we had a screening of a really prominent trans film. But before that, we had a panel of trans Latina activists that were from Los Angeles, including Bambi Salcedo, who has done a lot of work for our community. And so it was just a panel of like four girls and me talking about our experiences and talking about media and talking about representation. And then we went into a film. And that's completely different from being sensationalized or tokenized because you're in a space that's there to talk about, to educate, to say, we're celebrating this. That's amazing. Jasmine, what do you have to say on tokenization? You know, when it comes to tokenization, I think that a lot of the time it happens because companies or organizations, and I'm doing the air quotes as well, they'll bring the token in so that they can say, okay, we're doing this or we've done this. Look at this one trans person that we have. So we're going to use this one trans person to represent the entire community. And with that comes a lot of emotional labor that some trans folks may be prepared for in different ways or may not. It might come in a form of sabotage. And I think it's important that when you call upon a trans person to do a trans 101 or to be some sort of liaison between cis awareness and cis bigotry, how are you going to recognize their labor for doing that? And like Andrea said, what type of resources are you then going to allocate as a result from that? How far are you willing to go? And that's not to say that there aren't trans folks who like being in that sort of role to educate because they're doing it because they want to contribute to a greater good. But to expect a trans person to A, be a token and then be representative of a whole community, that's asking a lot. And that's also erasing everyone else's identity and lived experience. And you're in another way creating the sort of narrative, like you're molding the narrative to fit your own agenda. I'm listening to everything that all three of you are saying, and it sounds like the difference between tokenism and inclusion is really community and building that space for you to feel like you can show up and you can show up as your full self and you can find other people that you can relate to or that feel like they can relate to you through intersectionality. But how do you find that community? How do you find the places where you can go to work every day and show up and bring your full self and feel good about the community that you're stepping into? I think that for me, I remind myself that the reason that I'm doing this is because I remember not having this when I was growing up. I remember not having trans role models or trans figures that were doing this work or that were visible. And I remember being called all of these names and not understanding what they were and not having anybody to really look up to that were these things to, you know, disembowel the idea of the negativity behind these words. And it wasn't until I turned 19 and stumbled upon Janet Mock that I even knew that there was a word for what I was. And so it's one of those things where even on the days where it's bad and I'm being tokenized and I know that they're using my story for the good of a coin, I do it because I know that there's a potential chance that I'm going to be that girl for somebody that's going to be that revelation. That's going to be the reason they don't jump out of the window or cut themselves or take that pill or whatever the case may be. And 
as insignificant as I might think that my work is or my words are or a video that I post on Facebook is there's somebody out there that's going to use that information to become a better person. And I owe it not to the person that's trying to tokenize me or use me or get money off of my story. I owe it to that girl because I've been that girl. And I remember not having a girl like me that was doing the work that I was doing. I remember not seeing a bunch of Black girls. And I'm pretty sure the other two ladies can probably say the same thing. In our community, there's not a lot of women like us that are actually working. A lot of girls like us are forced on the streets. And Mm. all three of us are women of color. And we know that a lot of women of color, especially trans women, are not doing the work that we're doing. A lot of them can't say that they go to an office every day that's accepting or open to who we are fully. A lot of trans girls can't say that they have a college degree or a high school diploma. And we are the exception. And I think that it's important that no matter what, I don't allow somebody else to make me less of an exception to that rule and stop myself from being that beacon that I wish I had when I was coming up. Ah, beautiful. Amen. Yes. I completely agree. And I think that question that you ask is like a two-part question because one of it is more practical in talking about a job search. And then the other half of it is talking about our lives and how we survive. I'll start with the more real one, I guess, but it's like the simple fact that trans women thrive when we have a supportive community. Trans women feel like we can breathe when we reach out to another trans woman and we can actually understand what we're going through. And so sometimes it's all electronic, all via the internet or Instagram or whatever social media tool that you might want to think of. But that's what I've been hopeful for more and more, that media and social media is helping this younger generation feel more supported and like they have a stronger community, which is good. Even before us, if you've watched Pose, it's very obvious how intertwined the lives of trans people have been, especially in big cities. But... um. I think it's really just about finding a a family, a community that will support you and uplift you and doesn't tear you down as much as like the outside world. Again, there's a bunch of stuff that we're dealing with and traumas that we continue to carry and push onto other people. But uh, the more practical part of it, talking about like how do you integrate this into your company or how do you, as a trans woman, go out to try and find a company where you feel like you can have a community that will most likely not be all trans women. And I think that, as Hope was mentioning, it includes a lot of privilege. And so the advice that I would give to college graduates, especially trans girls who are in college, I would say look for companies who respect what they're doing and just look at their job websites because you'll be surprised at how you're not going to find job openings on Indeed or Monster or whatever online website you'll find. It might just be better to reach out directly to the company in whatever platform that they have. Because if you respect what they're doing as a company, it probably means that you respect their practices, which will probably mean that they'll respect you back, you know? Yeah, very good. I like that. That's very good advice. Uh, Jasmine, what about you? Where do you find your community? I, I think it's hard, like Hope was saying, when you as a trans person, especially when you are developing not only your emotional, but your intellectual awareness to your trans identity, and you don't see people that are like you, it's hard to find community, right? Because how do you find community that you don't know exists? And I think that also leads to quite a bit of isolation because you feel like, okay, well, I'm the only one that's going through this. There aren't other people like me. So 
there is no community for me. And I think another part of that is where are you as a trans person? What is your environment? Are there even resources that allow you to begin to even find community? And then when you do, it's like, what does connecting to community look like for you? What type of boundaries do you have? Where are you in your own experience? And what type of expectations do you have for yourself? And what type of expectations has your environment has placed on you? But I think when you finally do connect the community, we're very resourceful. So a lot of the time, if let's say you are trying to find affirming places to work or, you know, to build skills or anything, most of the time, community steers you in the right direction. Like they'll be candid to tell you, oh, this place is terrible to work at. They're not supportive or this or that, or this place is great. You know, they'll give you that information once you're connected, right? And you can do that in various ways, depending on where you are. You can do it via social media if that feels better or like safer for you, or you can do that, you know, in person by going to spaces that are built for community or where community continuously come together. I don't think there's a set way, to be honest, to to find community because I think that finding community looks different for everyone. You know, it could mean choosing a family. It can mean having like a small circle of folks that maybe are trans or aren't trans or are trans, but in very diverse ways or that fall outside of the box. And sometimes people are, are nervous to make those connections because it's like, oh, it might require me being out or it might expedite my own process of coming out. And like, am I okay with that? You know, am I ready for that? Or is that the push that I need? So these are also like internal conversations that are happening with people that are looking to reach out and connect. I think that you bring up a lot of great points in the fact that it's not clear cut, right? Like none of this is clear cut. There isn't just one way to build community. There's so many different paths and so many different directions to build a community to identify the companies where you can exist in and feel good about bringing your whole self to and show up every day and not be thinking about all the other aspects of your identity. And actually with that, I want to pop back over to Andrea for a second because I feel like you said you had a second piece to that answer that I don't think you got to. I don't know. I think that like, as Jasmine was talking about, it can feel a little intimidating, right? Because it really means like standing in your identity and having other people reflect that back to you. And in all the different permutations and different possibilities that this identity can take, you know? And um, I don't know. I think that growing especially in the trans community, just means becoming your more authentic self, which isn't changing your body to be the right thing. It isn't making everybody like you. It isn't a variety of things that so many people imagine what the trans community is trying to do. It's simply showing up to life the way that you've always wanted to. Make sense? And just being, essentially. Yeah. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned for part two, where we will talk about allyship, getting educated without relying on the trans community to do the heavy lifting of educating you, and how to diversify your feeds for more exposure and learnings. Since the time of this recording, Yes on 3 has passed in the state of Massachusetts, making it the first state in the country to uphold transgender protections at the ballot box. And Justice Kavanaugh has recently been sworn in as the replacement for Justice Anthony Kennedy. 
We wouldn't have been able to kick this season off without our committed human-inclusive listening circle. You all have provided us with valuable feedback and ideas throughout the development of this podcast. So thank you. Special thanks to our trusted advisor, Mark D. Hands, who helps us think differently, creatively, and brings our ideas to life. Follow him on Instagram at Mark D. Hands. That's spelled M-A-R-C-D-H-A-N-S. Last but not least, thanks to Dante32, a production company that assists podcasters like us to get off the ground to edit and produce episodes in this season. Thank you for listening to Human Inclusive. We will see you next time.